Father, we thank you uh, this morning for the good word of God, and we thank you for everything that you're doing. Our hearts are wide open to you. Thank you for crushing the head of the enemy this morning, that every heart now, every mind is wide open, Lord, for the truth and the real reality to prevail. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, we've been talking about the uh, centrality of Jesus We're going to get back into that. Before we do, I mentioned this last week. If you're new around here, here's kind of where we're coming from. Our desire is that if you don't know Jesus, you get connected to Him personally and experientially. John 17, 3. If you do know Him, we desire that you continue to grow up in all aspects into Him. That when people see you, that they see Him. And that Christ is manifest in your heart and life. And then lastly, if it's discovered about you, what's been discovered about us, that we need Jesus too. (laughs) We're here to help you, not condemn you. Does that make sense to everybody? If If it's found out about you, what's been found out about the rest of us, and that is that we're not perfect after the flesh and we really need Jesus, and we want to help you. We want to help you, not condemn you. On the centrality of... Jesus, we've been talking about how do we walk in truth? He came to bear witness of truth. Everything he taught is truth. If you look up the word in the Greek, it's the real reality. So the Lord's challenge us for a couple of months. How do we live the real reality of spirit and truth? If you uh, are new around here, as I mentioned, you don't know Jesus, uh, I've got good news for you. You're in for a treat. He is way better than you've ever thought. He is, and He's done more than you probably think He has. And we're just coming into that ourselves here at uh, Grace Church. But in living the real reality, number one, we need a renewed mind. Thank you, Lord, for the new man. We need to walk by faith, not by sight and by what we feel. Spiritual disciplines, prayer and meditation on truth, those things from a new covenant perspective. Number four, I inserted this last week. I don't know if you caught it, but believe the old sinful you is dead. You want to live the real reality? You cut ties with the idea that sin has coercive power over you anymore. Sin is not your master anymore. You're not who you used to be. And we're not trying to Christianize the old you. How you deal with the old sinful you is you crucify the old sinful you. And we've been talking about that now for a month. We're in Romans 6. I think we might get out of Romans 6 finally today. (laughs) But when he died, you died. He didn't just die for you. He died as you. Because God does not Christianize or put religion on old sinful human beings. He crucifies them. And he puts them to death. So that what? He can raise them brand new in Christ. You either belong to the Adams family this morning or Christ's family. There's only two races on this planet. Don't listen to the media. There's only two races. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. You're dead inside or you're reconciled and one with Christ on the inside. Boy, we're going to get into that today. So number four, believe the old you is dead. And then number five, abide in Christ's life as one Alive unto God. You've got the life, the Zoe, divine life of God on the inside of you. I loved some of our uh, older ladies who were doing Eat the Word a couple of weeks ago. They ate John 3.16 that whoever believes on Him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. And they were like, eternal? When you eat that passage, and what we mean by that is you just dig it out, you you uh, dig into its meaning. 
The word eternal is not just life with God in the sweet by and by. Eternal is ever-present, ever-supplying life as God possesses it. And if you believe on Christ, that life comes within you. Do you remember in John uh, chapter 7, the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles? What have they been doing all week long? Feast of Tabernacles, eating, drinking, all those kind of things. And Jesus on the last great day of the feast said, What? If anyone's hungry, if anyone's thirsty, if religion and tradition hasn't satisfied you, come to me and drink. And I'll give you life inside of you, out of your heart, your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. You'll never thirst again. If you possess eternal life, it just doesn't mean you're going to heaven to be with God one day. It means God's Spirit has come to live in you now. And if it is eternal, it is by definition present right now. Think about it, because we're not talking about a duration of life. We're talking about a divine type of life, a distinct life. So let's go back to, uh, we've been camped on Roman uh, number four and number five, dead to uh, who you used to be and alive unto God. So let's go back to Romans six eleven. This is New Living Translation. So you should consider yourselves, reckon yourselves, deem, count it as true, dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. I'm going to say it again because I feel like under the unction of the Holy Spirit, we need to be challenged with this. You've got to break ties with the idea that sin has power to make you do what it wants. You are not who you used to be. Reckon, consider, deem yourself dead to sin. The one that was mastered by sin was crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live. It's now what? Christ living where? In me. So I'm, I'm considering myself, and you may have to do this every 10 minutes or so. <laughs> Amen? I'm dead to sin, and I'm a new creation. Verse 12, don't let sin control you the way, control the way you live. Don't give to its sinful d- desires. I would even say deceptions. The real deception of sin is that it can satisfy you. It can't. You're not made by sin for sin as a human being. You're made by God for God. Verse 13, don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely over to God. Why? Because you were dead. But now you have new life. Zoe, divine life is on the inside of you. Father, help us to renew our mind to the real reality. Divine life is on the inside of us. Bless you. So use your whole body. As an instrument to do what's right for the glory of God. Look at this. Sin is no longer your master. You don't, you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. So Romans 6.14 says in the New King James, Sin shall not have dominion. It shall not dominate you anymore. You're not under the law. And I've taught you this. When you see law, put in parentheses of self-effort. You're no longer under the law of self-effort trying to get to God. You're now under grace. Romans 5.18, write that one down. It says that we reign in life. R-E-I-G-N. We reign as kings in life through God's abundant grace and the free gift of righteousness. The free gift of right standing. You've been given right standing with God. If you're working for right standing, you're in unbelief. 
if you live from a right standing, a right relationship with God, you're in faith. Because everything you are now, you're deriving from Him. So, sin no longer has dominion over you. You're not under the law of self-effort. You're actually under grace, which is Christ in you. Can I get a witness that uh, grace is a person? It's not a doctrine. If you think, oh, I've got grace and you just want to go out and sin, you're not saved. You heard me. If you're born again, grace is a person and He's in you. So when you get born again, now you may sin, you may stumble or do a big piece of stupid, but it is not your heart's desire. If your heart's desire is, oh, I got grace at church, let me go sin. Uh, first of all, you're dumb. Number two, <laughs> I mean that respectfully. <laughs> that is ignorant. <laughs> let me just go sin. Sin, sin is and ever shall be the parent of human misery. Why on earth would we go live in sin? Like that's some kind of great thing. We've all been there, right? Got a t-shirt and a coffee mug. And we would say, no good. But since grace is a person, he speaks to you. And if you do something incongruent with his righteousness, he tells you about it lovingly. Come on, amen, somebody. So grace is union with Christ. You're not under law, self-effort, independent striving To get to God, you've been gifted that, so you're under grace. Sin can't dominate you. You've got Christ in you. If Christ were in the Garden of Eden instead of Adam, how many of you think Christ would have succumbed? I don't. And we saw it in Matthew 4. He was tempted just like Adam was. He was tempted by the same tempter, but he resisted. Christ is in you. That's why sin can't dominate you. That's why I'm imploring you by the power of the Holy Spirit to break ties with the mindset sin can somehow coerce you. It cannot. It doesn't have power. It doesn't mean you won't, you, you can't give in to it, but it can't make you do its bidding. Amen. Romans 6.15. New Living Translation. We're trying to get through Romans 6 today. Well then. Since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? (laughs) I just covered that. Of course not. Don't you realize you become slaves of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Which one's more healthy? (laughs) Righteous living. Sin still has natural consequences. Now, I showed you last week that because Christ has accounting term imputed his righteousness to your account. So even even if you do a big piece of stupid, like your your account is clear, it's clean, pure as the wind-driven snow, and then you do a big piece of stupid. If we look at your account, it's still clean because Christ has imputed his righteousness to your account. But So there's no spiritual consequence. To sever your relationship with God. You've been born again by an incorruptible seed. The Christ in you can't be corrupted. What are you going to do about it? Go sin? That, that, that makes no sense. Rejoice sounds good. Give your whole heart and life to Jesus. That sounds good. In Thanksgiving. That all sounds good. Alright, what was I talking about? Do what? Yep. I was talking about... Thank you. Thank you. 
there are natural consequences to sin. And so if you sow sin into your marriage every day, you'll kill it. The wages of sin is... It's still death. So there's still natural consequences. And so Paul's saying, why would you go do that? Why would you go live in sin? And I'll tell you why. Because they have an intellectual uh, thought about a doctrine of grace and they've never met the person of grace who Titus 2.11 says, trains you in godly living. The grace of God has appeared. That's not a doctrine. That's a person. Titus 2.11. And now he trains you to choose his choices, to live righteously in the in the present age verse 17 thank god once you were slaves of sin now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we've given you so you're free from your slavery to sin and you've become slaves to righteous living that's what i mean by you're you're now a slave you're bent inside is towards righteous living so when you do something unrighteous the bells go off Right. I can't get away with anything. Why? Because Christ loves me and Christ will always protest every step of Steve's self-destruction. He protests it. So I have this conversation because the name of the church is Grace Church. So I'm in some grace circles from time to time. But I tell them, I tell the other pastors and leaders, I, I said, if people say you can just go and do whatever you want, that God doesn't care about your behavior, they don't understand the love of God. God loves you so much, He will protest every step of your self-destruction. He will absolutely speak to you. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't take your neighbor's wife. All that He's going to tell you that. Amen. I love that now as a new creation, my bent is to do what pleases God. I am not who I used to be. His bent was to do what pleased self and was fully deceived. In that. So you got freed from the law. Verse 15 says, now what did I share the last couple of weeks? What happens when you, when he freed you from the law? You get free to do what? Involves an altar, a wedding gown. That's right. He buried you to marry you. He put to death the old you so he could marry the new righteous clean you. You've got a date at the marriage supper of the Lamb, guys. And he wouldn't be living inside of you right now, betrothed to marry you if he didn't see you as spotless. That's how holy he is. He wouldn't be living in you right now if he hadn't eradicated your sin issue. And he did it not by dying for some of your behaviors on the cross. He didn't die for the behavior of alcoholism. He died as the alcoholic's nature. The sin nature that made a man drink himself to death, that's who Jesus died as on the cross. He didn't die for behavior. He died as the sin nature. He crucified the old man of sin. Not some select behaviors you think are wrong. (laughs) He died for that nature that used to possess us and influence us to do dumb things, hurtful things. Does that make sense, everybody? So he buried you so he could marry you and he wanted to bring you to this freely chosen, listen to this, marriage covenant relationship of love with him. That's what he brought you to. The law never had the power to keep you from sin. The law was given to show you you needed to be married. Remember, the law represents self-striving. So he gave the law so you would realize, I can't do this. Independent of God, there's no hope for me to live holy. 
So I cried out to Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Save me. And he came in you, gave his divine life and love and power to you so that sin doesn't dominate you anymore. That is the new creation, man. Glory to God. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Remember, he's talking about Christ. And, sorry, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands. At the end, he's, who's he really talking about? Christ in the church. He brought you out of the old man, raised you up as a brand new person to marry himself to you, to be one with you. Look at 2 Corinthians 11 too. For I'm jealous for you, Paul says, with the jealousy of God himself. I've promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion is going to be corrupted like Eve was deceived by the coming, cunning ways of the serpent. This is a marriage relationship. And you can go live single if you want, but you're still married. And he's going to talk to you about married life. He told me once, Steve, when I married you, I don't understand why you want to go back and try to please me by living with your first husband, the law. You go out here and live independently and perform all these laws and religious things, so I'll love you. Dude, I married you. We're already one. Why are you trying to please your new husband by living with the old one? I don't need the law to cause me to do what's right. It's not fear of punishment or fear I won't get a blessing or a check in the mail. It's love. It's love. My sin issue died when the unregenerate, unowned Steve died. And now I'm married to Christ. And this is such a powerful truth, guys. Don't be moved off pure and undivided devotion to Christ. That's what it's all about. All right, let's go to number six. Know your real identity is in Christ. How do we live the real reality? You've got to know your real identity is in Christ. It's derived from the realm of spirit and truth. Jesus told Pilate, one of the reasons I'm here is to bear witness, to give evidence to the reality of spirit and truth. You're not going to be able to walk by the spirit and live in truth if you don't know who you are by the spirit and by the truth. Fair enough. You won't be able to live the real reality if you don't see and know yourself by the real reality. Well, Brother Steve, what causes me so much trouble? Your feelings, your flesh, the fleshly mindset, the carnal mind, human reasoning, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All those things will lock you out of the real reality. You're like, Brother Steve, prove it. Okay, here it is. Second Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ is what compels us. Not rules. The love of Christ compels us because we judge this, that if one died for all, then we all died. We all died. The old sin for you, dead. Verse 15, and he, Jesus, died for us all, that those who live should no longer live selfishly, self at the sinner, but rather for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, everybody say from now on. We regard, we literally know no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, 
We know him that way no longer. So even the guys that knew him after the flesh didn't chose not to know him by the flesh any longer. They knew him by the Spirit. Did the disciples know Jesus better after he ascended and put his Spirit inside of them or when they were walking around for three years next to him? After. That's what they're saying. We don't even know him by the flesh anymore. We know him internally by his Spirit is how we know him. So that's our only option. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, how many? All things have become new. I'm going to say it again. You can't learn to live in the Spirit if you don't know who you are by the Spirit. I got the top. Thank you. You got to be able to see who you are in the Spirit to walk in Spirit and in truth. Why is that important? Because Galatians 5.16 says, walk by the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, I thought we were supposed to combat the flesh. I thought I was going to defeat the flesh. Well, I've been trying to pretty up the flesh, fix the flesh. I'm trying to be USDA flesh. (laughs) That was me in my early years. So many of us struggle back and forth with sin because we never quit identifying and knowing ourselves by the flesh, by the natural man, by the carnal mind. See, your perspective is your reality. Think about it. Your perspective, how you see things, the lens you're looking through is your reality. So you will live based on how you're perceiving. And if your perceiving is always natural, always carnal, always human reasoning, and you're not getting the reality from God and how He sees you, how He sees your spouse, how He sees your boss, how He sees the situation, how He sees what you ought to do when you found 20 bucks on the ground, if you're, if you're not perceiving and deriving from Him, you're going to have a natural carnal perspective. And the problem is, if you're in the flesh, you cannot please God. I'll show you that in Scripture. So your perspective is reality, and many Christians continue to experience the frustrations of the flesh because their reality is flesh. It's natural sight, feelings, emotions, and a wrong perspective can lack, uh, lock you out of truth. So I mentioned last week Daniel Grissom. Daniel is, is almost 20 years old, and he sees it. Here's what he's been telling his family. We sin because we believe we're still sinners. We sin. We struggle with it because we still believe we're sinners. That is the fleshly, carnal perspective. Okay? Don't let your natural reasoning tell you, oh, well, yeah, you're owned by sin. It dominates you. I've mentioned it. You've got to cut ties with that, sever ties with the doctrine that you're just an old sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. You're a new creation. Remade, recreated in Christ Jesus for good works, Ephesians 2.10. Remade in Him. How about this? According to verse 16, we shouldn't even know each other by the flesh. I shouldn't know Matt or, or Dion or anybody by the flesh. Walter, how should we know each other? By the Spirit. Well, that'd solve a lot of church problems. Could you imagine? All those church splits in the 80s and 90s, those were all by the Spirit, Right? carnality, tooth and nail, flesh, carnivore, devour each other. 
Why? Because you don't believe like me. Is that not why there's strife and contentions among you? Paul said, yeah, flesh. We shouldn't know each other by the flesh. We should see each other by the Spirit. In your marriages, and you start seeing ugliness, you can either call it out and judge it with a hammer, or you can call them up high and remind them who they are in Christ. Well, don't shout me down. I mean, that's great marriage advice right there. <laughs> know each other by the Spirit, not by the natural realm. We get along. You know when Jesus looks in this room, He only sees one Christ. So we, we literally belong to each other. That's not a figure of speech. How you treat each other is how you t- treat Christ. Because Christ lives in each of you. That's not a figure of speech. Now think about that. And if your spouse is born again, how you treat them is how you treat Christ. And I'll go one further because you're one with them. Uh, how you treat them is how you treat yourself. And if you're willing to give yourself some grace, maybe you ought to give them some every once in a while. Verse 17, we're a new creation. We're Christ-made. Christ-made Christians, not self or flesh-made Christians. We had seven people raise their hand to get born again last week. And if they raise their, if this gentleman, let's say he was 200 pounds and he had no hair when he got born again, he still weighed 200 pounds and no hair after he got born again. Well, how can that be? Because he says here, we're new creations. All things are made new. Your spirit is new. The change that was wrought was in here. That's where Christ moved in. That's where he came to live. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. Whoever's joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. John 3, 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. The life that God has given us is in his son. He who has the son has the life, the Zoe life of God. So you didn't get religion, you didn't get church membership, you got life you never possessed before. You are a new creation. Christ is in you. And I'm going to say it again. He wouldn't be living in you if He hadn't cleansed you of all sin. So you're going to have to come to terms with all the Scriptures in the New Testament that say Christ is in you. Colossians 1.27 says the mystery of the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now Christ is holy. He wouldn't be living in you if He hadn't already cleansed you of sin. So you have to, you have to say, what am I going to do with that? Am I going to really believe that? Am I really free? Yes, you are. You are free from sin that you may marry another and be joined to Him. And sin won't dominate you because you're not under the law of self-effort. You're joined to Christ. You're in the grace of God. You've got the gift of righteousness. How many of us spend so much time living after the flesh, identifying with our feelings, trying to improve the flesh, fix the flesh, beautify the flesh, religify the flesh, become USDA choice flesh in the church? (laughs) Doesn't do you any good. So write this word down, especially you, you people that eat the word. The word is sarx, S-A-R-X. It's the uh, New Testament Greek word rendering for flesh. We need to know and understand this term. 
Sarks is what we see in 2 Corinthians 5.16. From now on we know each other no more after the flesh. It's also Romans 8.5 that the mind set on the flesh is what? Death. Separation. But the mind set on the spirit is life, Zoe. Life and peace with God. That should tell you a little bit about your new creation identity. If you're not living every day out of the life of Christ and the peace of God, that you're at peace and harmony with Him, uh, then you're probably in the flesh. If you're striving after something, you're going after something, somehow you've bought into the lie that Christ wasn't enough. Now, you in Christ and Christ in you partnering together to advance His kingdom and do what He says do, well, that's perfectly normal. That's, that's Christian living. Him in you and you in Him. Another one is John 6.63. Jesus said, The flesh, sarks, profits you nothing. Jesus said it. The flesh, knowing each other by the flesh, living by the flesh, prettying up the flesh, profits nothing. So your carnal perspective, a fleshly perspective, profit you nothing. It is the Spirit, He said, that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. So here's the definition of sarks. It is the flesh. It means to be carnal. It means to live from an unrenewed mind. Not a new creation mind. The old you mind. How about this? The, the, the flesh, sarks, is an independent human perspective. If you're looking at things apart from His lens, flesh, decisions, sarks, decisions made according to self, Decisions made apart from faith. Decisions made empowered or action, sorry, empowered by self, not by God. You guys ever been there? Where the flesh is just driving every decision. And boy, the flesh loves religion. It loves striving, especially if it's going to get credit. Like, oh yeah, God had to bless me because I got it going on, man. I keep the word on. I do everything God says. That's why I'm so blessed. Are you blessed? Because I'm really blessed. My favorite is when we have tornadoes like last night and we run out to the porch. Oh God, I plead the blood over my house. And uh, then we go to church. We testify how God protected us. But man, he leveled the neighbor's house. <laughs> Let me tell you how God protected me. I tell you, my whole neighborhood destroyed. But, but man... I pled the blood and he passed right over. Did you ever think to pray for your neighbor? Because God cares about your neighbor. He don't just care about you. The only place you can go with the flesh is either self-pity and woe is me, I'm terrible. Because it's still self-centered, right? I'm bad, I'm terrible. God will never bless me. Or self-righteousness. I'm amazing. I'm full of faith. I got the power. Both are self-centered. One's wearing a tuxedo. One's dressed in rags. But it's still flesh. U-S-D-A choice flesh. And listen, I'm okay. Don't hear what I'm not saying. If the Lord prompts you and He says, Steve, you need to pray over your, you know, Psalm 91, the storms are coming or whatever. Man, do that. But don't don't just forget about your neighbor and start celebrating that they were all destroyed and your house was safe. 
Amen. And partner with Him. So it's decisions according to the self, empowered by self, not by God's Spirit. To deal with the flesh, don't Christianize it, crucify it. Render it dead. I keep showing you this because you need to keep seeing it. (laughs) I got my tithing sunglasses on. I tithe. God's got to bless me. I'm a tither. Do you realize the greatest giver of all time lives inside of you? And if you you really think, boy, this 10% is really justifying for me, how about you give whatever he tells you to give? Because you don't own any of that money. You think it's yours? Like if you think you have 90 and he has 10, you're in the wrong covenant. He owns you. He owns your wallet. He owns all the money you think is yours. Everything, he purchased you. He purchased you. All right, and then we got, you know, church attendance, which I love church attendance. I love coming to church. But I don't come to church so I'll be saved or so God will bless me or so God will love me. That's unbelief. I already am saved. I'm already blessed. And God already loves me. That's why I'm here. (laughs) Now, doesn't that sound better? Doing a place from my union with Him, not for one. The flesh loves doing for because the flesh is going to want to take credit. Or the flesh is going to want to feel sorry for itself. But that old flesh is dead. And then the, the pearls. What's a good one for the pearls, guys? What's a good work? My own righteousness. Yeah. My good works. You see, I got one, two, three. I got four strands of pearls. Helped this old lady across the street. Uh, gave this guy, I gave my waitress an extra $20. You're just trying to pretty up the flesh. God doesn't Christianize it. He doesn't religify it. He crucifies it. Now here's your, uh, Here's your task for this week. This is my ask or your assignment, if you will. I encourage you, if you, if you know how to eat the Word, eat this Scripture this week, send me your letter. I want to know what the Lord's speaking to you. If you don't know how to eat the Word, we have many people you could ask that could help you, but if not, just sit in this Scripture and ask the Lord to speak to you. Just sit with Him. Jesus said, As the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. And the words that I speak to you are what? Spirit. The words that I speak to you are spirit and life. How many of you believe that the news media speaks spirit and life to us? There's a lot of moaning in that. They don't. What do they speak to us? Flesh. Flesh. Fleshly perspective, carnality, fleshly efforts. And Jesus said, all that flesh on TV... Prophets, the United States, nothing. All it does is divide you against each other. Remember the church splits? That wasn't because of spirit, guys. That was flesh. That was carnivores eating and devouring each other, Paul said. What they'll say is, let me say all this in such a way so we can get the men against the women. Let's get the women against the men. I mean, there not there a cause? And boy, they love this one. This is subtle, but it's Satanism. The end justifies the means. That is pure Satanism. Whatever I need to do to get my agenda across, by God, I'll do it. Luciferianism is what it is. If you want a kingdom end, you'll never achieve it through unkingdom methods. Ever. Well, you don't understand. I, I want to strike those people down. Well... 
That's the flesh. And maybe they deserve a good spanking. Amen? Some of them? Burning down towns? Where's their dad? Bring them home and spank them. Right, Matt? But not in anger. That's one of my biggest regrets as a parent is the times that I spanked them in anger. I'm being totally honest with you. So they pit all kinds of strife. They stir up flesh and contention so we'll bite and devour each other. Man, there's a lot. I'm just casting down thoughts right now. But they, they try to get us to focus on flesh and cause strife in the nation. We got, let's pit the black people against white people. Let's, let's pit Hispanics against this other group. Uh, black people against Asian people. Let's pit women against men. And yet, you know what my Bible says? In Christ, there is no more Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We're all one in Christ. You see how the Spirit, Jesus said, my words are Spirit. And if we have so much division, where is the church? Where are the Christ-filled people that we begin to exude and exemplify words of Spirit and life? You cannot fight carnality with the flesh. Come on, somebody. I'm, I'm preaching good right now. This is... You, you will never have a righteous end through unrighteous means. So when we turn the country, and we will, we'll turn our town, we'll turn our cities, we'll do it through kingdom methods. We'll do it through living life in the Spirit. And our words will be life and our words will be Spirit. For we don't know anyone according to the flesh. Amen. Come on, let's give God praise for that. That's good. Good preaching, little preacher. How about this one? I don't see that last one on there. Does anybody have a message Bible on them? Okay, Brian, did you mind? can you look it up? Yeah. Message Bible, not this verse though. Romans 6, 11 through 18 in the message. All right, Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh, how do they do it? They set their minds on the things of the flesh. There's a movement of naturalism in the United States that lives among our politicians. All they can see is the natural realm. That's all they can deal with. So those who live according to the flesh, how do they do it? They set their minds on the things of the flesh. The word there is sarks. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So we, don't, we, we reject independent living. We don't want to do anything independent from the perspective of God. And so that's why if you, if you stumble, you've got to renew your mind immediately back to the perspective of God that you are righteous and clean and pure and just and holy. If you continue to see yourself as dirty and nasty and separated and no good, you're going to keep wearing yourself out trying to get to God, which honestly is insulting to Jesus Christ because He's the one who made you right with Himself. How many of you have a teenager or have had one? How many of their room is spotless? Okay, <laughs> so tale of two rooms. If you got a room in your house that belongs to your teenager and there's Doritos and Lay's chips and socks and underwear everywhere and it's a disaster area, 
And then you've got this other room, the dining room. It's got your china in there, the white glove treatment. It's pure. It's clean. Which of those rooms are you more apt to throw garbage in? The one that's already got garbage. So it's super important you break ties that you're just garbage, you're just unclean, you're not, that you're that same old stinky you from back then, break ties with it and start seeing yourself as pristine. I'm, I'm a Christ-made, cleansed Christ follower. And you'll think twice about throwing some dirt in that room. But you've got to believe it. And to believe it in Scripture, New Testament, means you're convinced. You're absolutely convinced and persuaded by Christ Himself of his perspective. So we no longer live by the perspective of the flesh, the nasty natural, the emotions, the feelings of all that. Those are, those are okay. I get it. They're real, but they're not all that's there. So train your mind to go to the Spirit and derive truth from the Spirit. Wow, I'm way out of time. I'm sorry. Thanks. <laughs> in Christ. Everybody say in Christ is our reality. In Christ is our reality, not the carnal mind. One last thing on that. Those according to the... Oh, where's the rest of uh, Romans 8, 5? Okay. Look at this, guys. Carnally minded is death. Spiritually minded is zoe and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Literally means opposed, won't submit to it, uh, totally rejects God's perspective. The carnal mind rejects God's perspective. The carnal mind is your natural reasoning. Well, I did something sinful. I must be a sinner. That's a lie if you've been recreated in Christ Jesus. Your spirit man did not sin. Go back to spirit and truth for your reality and your self-view. Amen, somebody? The carnal mind is opposed to God, rejects God. It's not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. It's oil and water. There's no way the flesh can marry to the Spirit of God. Human reasoning, human knowledge is contrary. It's self-derived, and it's contrary to God's perspective. That's what he's saying. Verse 8, So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That should sound familiar. Hebrews eleven six. 6, without Without faith, it's impossible to please God because faith says, I I can't have my own perspective. I've got to derive everything I am, the reality I'm living, I've got to, I'm a branch, I've got to derive it from God. I refuse to live independent of His perspective. I refuse to live independent of His lens. Faith is receiving. Faith is abiding. We talk about abiding. Just live the reality of your connection every day. Whoever's in the flesh is living independently. An independent view apart from God's view. Independently trying to love somebody instead of letting Christ love through me. And it goes with Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because faith is receptivity. Faith is receiving, believing that what God says is true, is really true. All right, Scott, you guys can go ahead and come. Matt. Last one. I was supposed to have this on the screen for you, but I didn't see it. Romans 6. And this is, uh, let me make sure it's not up here somewhere. 
Romans 6, 11, Message Bible. We're going to sum it all up. Could it be any clearer that our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ? A decisive end to the old sin, miserable life. No longer it sends every beck and call. What we believe is this. If we got included in Christ's sin-conquering death, well, we got included in His life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus uh, was raised from the dead, it was a signal, uh, end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him. But alive, he's brought God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your native tongue. And you hang now on his every word. You are dead indeed to sin. And you are alive to God. That's what Jesus Christ did for you. Amen. Come on, clap your hands, all you people. Stand with me. Why wow, so powerful? The Father is breaking yokes in this house. He is destroying the old way of thinking that we are just who we used to be. No, you're not. You may see re- you may see residue of that old you, some thoughts and feelings and memories of how that old you did things, but that is not who you are anymore. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning, you say, Brother Steve, I want to join with those that have made a decision to follow Christ. I want to be born again. I want to receive His life and sever ties with the old me. If that's you, just slip your hand up and say, Brother Steve, pray for me this morning. I want to receive Christ my Lord, life, and Savior. Anybody? Anybody? Well, Father, I thank you this morning for the good word of God. And I thank you, Lord, that we are not who we used to be. Holy Spirit, we give you permission. Remind us, quicken us by the Spirit who we really are, what we really have, what we can do in Christ. In Jesus' name. Let's sing this together.